0: Father, thank you for the gift of life. Both the physical life that is so, so evident in the lives of these children and really, Father, in the life of this congregation. People that just have joy in living. That's a good thing. That's a great thing. But thank you most of all for spiritual life that gives us true life eternal life thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit which makes application of the work of Jesus Christ in our lives Father we come today together as your children we are by nature weak we're frail we're prone to failure but we rest in your perfections. And Father, we're so overwhelmed by the fact that a holy, mighty, glorious, majestic God has found a way to use these old earthen vessels called people. So may it all be for your glory and your honor, In the name of Jesus, all of God's people said, amen, amen. Well, today we reached somewhat of the crescendo of chapter 3. Everything has been leading up to this glorious future event, but it also comes in today's text with a profound warning. There is no place like home. How many of us have ever said that? Maybe after a journey, a time of being away, there's just no place like home. How many of you have ruby slippers? But of course, Paul is making reference in this text. He will make reference to our home, our heavenly home, and he will make it very clear, and there will be much more to say about this as we progress, that it is a citizenship issue. And I want us to know that I, I believe it's important that we understand that there, there ought to be a burning desire to go be with Jesus. But that does not mean someone simply wants to die. <laughs> that is not the case. A desire to go and be with Jesus looking forward to heaven is, is really found in our confidence of knowing I will. Because of his faithfulness. So that's why it's important, so important for a professing believer. Now, I want us to understand this because this is going to be important as we hit a couple of points through the message. To have a confidence in their salvation. Not an arrogance, a confidence. Because our confidence is not in us. It's okay to have a firm confidence in the perfect and most powerful one. It's okay. It's a good thing to understand that we're saved by the grace of God and we're kept only by his grace. And so we can, if you will, boast in that, but do it humbly. How's that? Let's stand at the reading of God's word this morning, Philippians chapter 3. The text we'll be dealing with actually goes up through chapter 4, verse 1. So we'll be reading 3, verse 17, through chapter 4, verse 1. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Wow and by the way that little word tucked away in chapter or verse 21 transform that's what we we're just talking about metamorpho the transformation that will occur even in us yet to come father we pray that you would add your blessing place your blessing upon the reading of your word be honored by it father but most importantly may the spirit use these living words of scripture to change us in Christ's name amen and amen well there are three types of people or examples described in our text there is the good there's the bad and there's the the what I was just hoping nobody would switch to country songs there, you know, a movie. (laughs) The good, the bad, the perfect, the perfect. So let's put these three groups or examples in context of the scripture. Point number one, very simple, there are people who are good examples to follow. Godly people, brothers, join in in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. That's a very profound statement to make, folks. A very profound statement. And and I want to reference back a, a few verses here, back in verse 12, where Paul says, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. So Paul's making confession. He's first of all saying, it's okay to imitate me, but I'm not perfect. I'm not perfect. And this is where sometimes we can get in trouble, where we elevate people too high. And if we do that, we're setting them up for failure. We're setting them up for a fall. I certainly have met people throughout my life as a Christian. Actually, I would say before I was a Christian, and, and honestly, factually, before I was a Christian, they were setting good examples for me. I chose not to follow. But now that I am saved, I realized I was witnessing godly lives. I was witnessing godly lives. So Paul is, and, and then in first, er, yeah, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1, he makes this statement. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. So it's very simple. Paul is just simply saying, follow me to the degree that I follow Christ. But I'm not perfect. I'm not perfect. And that comes only from the fact that Paul understands who owns him. Who owns him? He knows that he is owned by Christ. His statement is not out of arrogance, but out of confidence. Paul is encouraging the church to follow Christ. He is not writing to the lost world. He is, his audience is the church, and this is important as we, as we move forward to the second point, but you cannot expect the lost to live for Christ. Okay. Sometimes I think we're, we, we, we put unrealistic expectations on the world. In the way the world lives. And I'm talking about unsaved, and that, that covers a gamut of, 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 of issues and how people live out their lives. But basically, don't expect a person of the world, a person who has not been saved, don't expect them to live spiritual lives. They, they can't. It, it's incapable. You cannot live the Christian life without the presence and fire of the Holy Spirit. So sometimes we expect too much of the world. They're acting the only way they know how. That's it. But church, are we living according to the power of the Spirit, Christ in us? Who among us can confidently encourage others to follow us as we follow Christ? And here's the key, not only in our public life, but in our private life when nobody's watching. And not just our Sunday lives, but our Monday lives. I know that Christ is our supreme example, and that ultimately we are to imitate him. But I, again, I want to say I am so thankful for, I will call them some heroes of the faith. There are many who have made a tremendous impact on my life and ministry. Some were preachers, but many, many, many were just laity, people of the congregations of the churches that I've served. Lay people who humbly and faithfully lived out their lives for the glory of Christ, serving him. I am so thankful for that, and I hope, I pray that you have had those people in your lives also. So there are people who are good examples to follow. Secondly, there are people who are bad examples to be avoided. These are the godless people. In verses 18 and 19, for many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with set on what? Earthly things. That's important. That's important. So who are these bad examples? And where are these bad examples? Sadly, tragically, I call your attention to the recipients of this letter. Paul is writing to the church. The bad examples are in the church at Philippi. Their examples should be avoided. But that doesn't mean they remain unloved and uncared for. And you see how Paul prefaces this statement with Tears. Tears. Folks, this this is where we sometimes fall short. We can rush to judgment and run right past grace. Right? With tears. Paul doesn't want these people to meet their end as he describes their end. He would prefer they repent and come to Christ in a loving, living relationship. Please note Paul's brokenness for many of whom I've often told you and now tell you even with tears, not only weeping over their current condition, but their future faith, their end, their destruction, their belly, their shame, their minds. They are defiant, they are rebellious. What we see today is not different than what Paul witnessed in his day. Philippi was a strong church, but not an immune church. They had some problems. But let me tell you, it was still Christ's church. He was still head. He was still Lord. It's critical that we understand what Paul is emphasizing as he's, he's describing in detail these defiant and even depraved people. The key statement in verse 19 again with mindset on earthly things. Listen to what scripture says about this please. A fairly lengthy passage, but allow me to read as we listen attentively. If then, Colossians chapter 3, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Do you see the contrast immediately right there? Where, where are the people in, in the Philippians passage? Where are they thinking about? Where is their mindset? Unearthly things. And what Paul, in writing to the church of Colossae, says, we're to be thinking about the things that are above. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Amen? Put to death. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. That's what we're becoming, folks. Here there is not Greek or Jew or circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. That's there for a reason, folks. That's there for a reason. It's important. That if we are going to enjoy and rest in the peace and confidence of being forgiven by a holy and righteous God, we must, by the command of the Word of God, forgive those who have offended us. And above all, above all, these put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony I would encourage you, please, and I I really, from the very deep of my heart, I I, I would encourage you to meditate on that passage sometime this week. It's so beautiful. It's so powerful, and maybe even convicting, but that's okay. That's a good thing. Colossians 3, verses 1 through 17. But do you see the difference in those descriptions within that passage? The two distinct and, and, and separate lifestyles that are described. And Paul is wanting the people of Philippi to walk in the fullness of Christ's joy. And in order to do that, we've got to get rid of all this earthly garbage that we carry around. Which brings us to our third point. There is only one perfect example. And he is the only person who can get us home. The joy of the future that has been obtained for us who believe and been converted by the power of the Holy Spirit. Our citizenship is in heaven. Those in Philippi were citizens of Rome, but that was not their true home, at least among those who were unsaved. I am beyond thankful that I hold an American citizenship. I am beyond thankful that I have had the privilege of being born in the greatest nation in the world. That's why with tears I look at what happened to her. We should also weep as Paul. But even though we are citizens of this great country and we have the privilege of voting, don't forget that coming up in August, August 2nd. Folks, that privilege was granted to us by the blood of men and women. So we need to vote, and we need to vote for what is right and pure and holy and godly according to the will of the Lord. And I vote for life. I vote for life. But ultimately, ultimately, my loyalty is to the sovereign Lord of heaven and earth. No matter what else happens, my ultimate loyalty lies to the Lord of heaven and Lord of earth. I want to read something. Uh, I pulled this out. I, I, I just, I it was a devotion this week, and I just, it just fit. It just fit. So, please, if you would listen to these words of Oswald Chambers. And he's commenting on 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30, but of him you are in Christ who became for us sanctification. The life side, the mystery of sanctification is that the perfect qualities of Jesus Christ are imparted as a gift to me not gradually, but instantly, once I enter by faith into the realization that He became for me sanctification. Sanctification means nothing less than the holiness of Jesus becoming mine and being exhibited in my life. The most wonderful secret of living a holy life, and listen to this, does not lie in just imitating Jesus, but in letting the perfect qualities of Jesus exhibit themselves in my human flesh. Sanctification is Christ in you. It is his wonderful life that is imparted to me as sanctification, imparted by faith as a sovereign gift of God's grace. Am I willing for God to make sanctification as real in me as it is in his word? And I will pause right there. Folks, that's our life. That's our life. That's our joy. That's our hope. That's our confidence. Is Christ in us. In us. We are not permanent residents of this country or this world. We are just passing through. We are sojourners in a foreign land. But our call is to make as much impact as we possibly can in this whisper of a moment that we have here on this earth. Giving witness to the saving grace of Jesus Christ, sharing our testimony of how he changed our lives, telling them, telling the lost and dark and dying world how to be saved, And here again, folks, I'm just suddenly reminded of the privilege we have in this great nation to do that. <laughs> it may be slipping away a little bit. It may be being attacked more severely and ferociously of late. But I tell you what, we can still speak boldly about Jesus Christ on any street in this nation. And that's not true in much of the world today. And that's because of the men and women who have fought and are still fighting, standing in the gap to keep us free. Amen. So someday, I already have my passport, by the way. I was reissued a passport. I've had a passport since I can remember. But I was reissued one from glory. Okay? So my, my, my passport has been upgraded to, to entrance entrance. Into glory. All right? Visa's already taken care of. Don't have to worry about it. And someday, someday, I'm going to see him. My eyes, however that looks in our glorified bodies, (laughs) but I will behold his glory. Folks, I am absolutely confident in that fact because Jesus Christ said, said, that's the way it would be if I was willing to repent of my sins and confess him as my Lord and Savior. And just like Paul, I am, uh, my only hope is perfection is the day I step into glory but I want to finish the race wide open. Someday the Lord Jesus Christ is coming not only to transport us, but also to transform us into a glorious state prepared for our eternal dwelling place. Welcome home. I think I maybe have shared this, but I I will share uh, when Connie and I had our our, uh, grave marker, our stone uh, made to to set at our uh, rental property uh, down in uh, Melbourne Cemetery. Uh, It's just temporary, so. uh, but uh, the only thing I could think of, and it's on the front of our stone, it just simply says, home at last, home at last. Let's take a look at the assurance of our destination. This is so important. And and in closing, uh, again, just uh, please, I I, I think not because they're they're in my notes, but because I believe they're they're important principles for us to live by. The assurance of our destination, what will be shown in the lives that we live? Number one, our language should be heaven's song. Those whose minds are on earthly things talk about earthly things. After all, what comes out of the mouth reveals what's in the heart, right? The unsaved person does not understand the things of God's Spirit, so how can they talk about them? The citizens of heaven understand spiritual things and enjoy discussing them and sharing them with one another. We speak heaven's language, and it's not just what we say, it's how we say it and how we live out what we say. Secondly, our names are in the Lamb census. The Christian's name is written in the book of life and just kind of a symbolic, uh, obviously, but it's written in blood. It's written in blood, in the blood of the Lamb. And this is what determines our final entrance into heaven's beautiful country. When we confess Christ on earth, he confesses us to the Father in heaven. Isn't that great? The minute we come to Christ and confess him as our Lord and Savior, I, I don't know. I mean, these are just, you know, human. We always were putting human attributes and applying them to God. But somehow I think Jesus kind of rests back and looks over to Father and said, Uh huh. That one's ours, Dad that was ours forevermore. Your family just got one soul bigger. That is the glory of Christ. That's what brings glory to Christ when a sinner repents and becomes a believer. Your name is written down in heaven in Luke 10, 20. Jesus says this, and it stands written forever. Listen, the Greek word, I don't do this often, I think it's important, but the Greek verb in Luke 10, verse 20, is in the perfect tense, so it literally says, it is once for all written and stands written. It's done. So, Our language should be heaven's song, proclaiming the glory of Christ and proclaiming the joy that we have in being His and serving Him. Our name is in the Lamb's census, and we live under heaven's rule. In Philippians 3.17, Paul warns the Philippian believers against imitating the wrong kind of citizen. Be followers together of me. Of course, Paul was a follower of Christ. We covered this, and so we won't go back over that. But Paul knew himself to be an alien in this world, a pilgrim and a stranger, and his life was governed by heaven's laws, and this is what made him different. He was interested in giving, not getting. His motive was love, not hatred. By faith, he obeyed the word of God knowing that one day he would be rewarded. And folks, don't look for a whole lot of reward here on this earth. Our reward is stored in heaven and we can live with peace and joy and abundance here on this earth knowing that it's being kept there. Amen. Fourthly, We long for the Lord of heaven to come. We look for the Savior. It is this anticipation of the coming of Christ that that motivates the believer with a spiritual mind. There's tremendous energy in the present power of a future hope. Because Abraham looked for a city, he was content to live here in a tent. Because Moses looked for the rewards of heaven, he was willing to forsake all of his treasures on earth. Because of the joy that was set before him, Jesus was willing to endure the cross, scorning its shame, and sitting down at the right hand of God in glory. Why? They were always looking forward to what God had granted them, not what the earth could offer them. The fact that Jesus is returning is a powerful motive for dedicated living and devoted service. And fifthly and finally, we are loyal to heaven's call. Remember, these are five characteristics of the born again believer. We are loyal to heaven's call. The cross of Jesus Christ is the theme of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. It's the cross of Christ, it's the theme of the Bible, it's the heart of the gospel and the chief and primary source of praise in heaven. Holy is the Lamb. Holy is the Lamb to receive all glory, honor, and praise. The cross is the proof of God's love for sinners and God's hatred of sin. The cross condemns what the world values it judges mankind and pronounces the true verdict guilty. But here is your hope Christ will rise from the grave, he will ascend into glory, he will take his rightful seat at the right hand of God and he will rule over heaven and earth, and he gets the last word in all things. Praise be to God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit. The gospel is not just a message, folks. The gospel is the life that we live. It's the life that we live and must be the song of our hearts If you do not rejoice in knowing where home is and weep over those whose only home is here, please come this morning and talk to one of us up front. Or later today, this week, call, email, text, whatever uh, is your preference. I'd love to share some time with you. I know Pastor Adam would love to talk to you or any of the elders. I mean countless people you can call and say you know what I'm struggling with this can you help me can you help me come to Jesus come to Jesus the greatest decision you'll ever make in your life the greatest decision that will transform your life and give you a hope kept where how many have a safety deposit box they're kind of a thing of the past maybe but you got a safety deposit why do you got that what's that you have a vault okay similar why do do we have things like that protect them they're valuables we want to protect them we want to keep them Hopefully, the thief won't be able to break in. But I know I got a couple of safes at home. And they're rated for a certain temperature for a certain amount of time. So even those safes are perishable. Right? Guys, the point of this is, our hope is locked up, is being held in glory. Glory. Jesus Christ is guarding it. Now who's going to get to it? Do you know this Christ? Do you know him? As your personal Lord and Savior. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. Thank you for the time that we've had together, the fellowship. And Father, I hope the joy and the rejoicing that we are God's kids. That we're your family. You adopted us. You love us. You keep us. You feed us. You clothe us. You take care of us. You give us shelter. And most of all, you've given us a certain hope. A guaranteed hope. Thank you. Thank you. In Jesus' name. Let's stand.